Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Genesis chapter 20, there is a really cool story here. It's, it's hard. And the first couple of pieces of this are a little bit hard um, to digest because we like to talk about Abraham as who? Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them. Right arm, left arm, left foot, right foot. Do the hokey pokey, turn yourself around. And now you're grafted in. And so the deal is we love Abraham and we see him uh, mentioned even in the New Testament, um, talking about how his faith was counted to him as righteousness and how we, this man was just like before there was ever Christianity, before Jesus, before there was the law, before there was the promised land, before there was anything, there was God and Abraham. And so we're going to talk about him this morning and, and a, sort of a, a tough part of his story, okay? Now, Abraham journeyed from there, okay? So Abraham is on a journey. We know that he was called from, uh, from his homeland to a place he knew not of. And on the way, he would journey through different things that he also knew not of, okay? Anybody on that journey? Anybody headed to a promised land and you're kind of, you're journeying through some places and you're like, I don't know what this is all about. Well, good, because uh, have I got a story for you. So Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you're a dead man. How many of you want that dream from God in the middle of the night? (laughs) You thought you just got a brand new bride and you wake up in the middle of the night and there's the Lord saying, you're a dead man. It's better God than your wife probably at that point, but still, you're a dead man because because the woman whom you have taken for she is married. What? I hate finding that out late. Now Abimelech had not come near her. Thank God. He hadn't touched her yet. He hadn't come near her and watch this. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And then she reiterated herself and said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you've done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Verse 7 says, Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you don't restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And at this point, all who are his, he's a king. So all who are his is the whole nation. All of Gerar is uh, is teetering in the balance here of Abraham's next move. And I want to call your attention to this because, first of all, to Abraham's credit, Sarah actually was his half-sibling. They had the same father, but a different mother's. And, And at this time in history, this was not as uncommon and weird as it is today, uh, but they were half-siblings, but they also were married. And I want to talk about this for a second because I think that, that it's easy for us. See, we're in a covenant with Jesus. 
And this covenant, if you're not familiar with this whole story, if maybe you heard some songs or some people talking and it's like, what, we're the, what, the bride of Christ? Yes, if you skip all the way to the back of the book in Revelation, we see a marriage supper of the lambs take place and we find out what all this talk about Israel being this adulterous wife and all this stuff. These were all pictures leading up to this idea that Jesus is coming back for a bride. A bride, a bride without spot or wrinkle, a bride. Now, it feels weird because we try to draw the image of this whole marriage and covenant and unity with Jesus. We try to draw it through our ideas of marriage on the earth today. But in fact, it's the opposite. Us coming together with our spouse and standing at an altar and and putting rings on each other and, and saying vows, exchanging vows with each other. What that is, is that's actually the little microcosmic example that plays out in our homes and in our lives to remind us daily of the covenant and the unity that we've been called to with Jesus. So I know it's a little wonky if you try to see it backwards, but the kingdom is the right way. We're backwards. Okay, good. So Abraham said, Sarah's my sister. He was under covenant with God, but the fruit of that covenant with God would only come through the covenant of his marriage. Zach, what does that mean? What that means is that we see earlier in Abraham's life, there's a covenant made with God, the father. And that covenant looks something like this. Hey, Abraham, I am going to make you the father of a nation. And you will have the descendants like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the seashore. What a crazy, awesome covenant to come into with the father. And yet, the only way that that covenant could come into fruition was through intimacy in his marriage covenant. Now, if you think about Abraham, you, you, he could receive that covenant, that promise from God. He could receive that, come into that, and then deny his wife, deny his marriage, deny that covenant, the intimacy that was required there, and never actually experience the fullness of what God wanted for him. You see how this works? So that's why it's so incredibly important that when, when coming into a place of trepidation and of fear, Abraham, instead of saying, this is my bride, this is my wife, keep your hands to yourself, you know what I'm saying? Abimelech, you have enough wives as it is, she's mine. Instead of saying that, he downgrades his relationship to something safe. In order to birth Isaac... Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? In order to birth Isaac, Abraham would still have to be intimate with Sarah. That intimacy would become a huge problem if he married her off to a worldly king. Because here's the thing about kings. They don't like it when you sleep with their wives. Okay, so like, they, like people are put to death for that throughout scripture, okay? It's not like a, you know, a reality TV show. It's just like the reality is you're over, you're done, you're dead. And so in order to birth Isaac, Abraham would still have to be intimate with Sarah. Isaac had not been conceived yet. But saints, no matter what God promises us, if you're writing things down, no matter what God promises us, it only comes to pass through our intimacy with Jesus. Why do y'all spend so long at the altar? Why is everybody weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's like sackcloth and ash. No, it's not. It's coming closer. It's proximity, it's moving our hearts, moving our lives, moving our minds, moving our postures, moving whatever it is that we have closer. Get closer, stay longer. 
He didn't call us to first base. Okay? I'm just going to make somebody real uncomfortable in here. He didn't call us to second base. All right? Home run. Grand slam. All right, that's enough. If Abimelech had taken Sarah as a wife, there would have been no Isaac. And if there would have been no Isaac, there would have been no Jacob. No Jacob, no Israel. No Israel, no hope. And the whole thing was based on Abraham assuming there was no fear of God in that place. Look with me to 11. Because Abimelech does what any normal person would do when he finds this out, when God wakes him up and says, wake up. You got somebody in your house that you ought not have. Abimelech wakes up and he hears this whole thing from God. What? She's this guy's wife, but he said they were siblings and but, 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 but. That's all right. So what does he do? He does what you or I would have done. He goes and takes Abraham by the collar and shakes him and says, wake up. What in the world were you thinking? Your God is about to kill me and my entire people. Why would you have done such a thing? And Abraham in verse 11 says this, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place. Saints, never mistake your fear of talking about Jesus as the world not needing to hear about him. I'm gonna say it one more time. Never mistake your fear of talking about Jesus with the world not needing to hear about him. Because just because you're afraid, just because you're too shy, just because you're too embarrassed, just because you're too whatever, you've got too much to lose, whatever that means. Just because you're in a position where you don't think you're comfortable or safe doing it doesn't mean that they're in a comfortable or safe place without him. That is good. Thank you for noticing. The, the, the first service just sat quiet through this. You know why? Because worship went so long. Let me just tell you all this. I'm going to say it. And I hope the first service is watching after the fact. Because I said there would be like a longer, more in-depth version. Because I had like 22 minutes to preach in the last service. Because the altar call went so long because it got started so late. If we just calm down. Let me tell you something. I'm a worship leader. Before I was a pastor, I was a worship leader. So before I'm ever going to get to speaking and preaching, I'm going to lead some worship. Okay? And I'm not going to stop until we're there. Because he doesn't stop until we're there. First base. Second base. Third base. Somebody give it up to the Lord in Jesus' name. Oh, it's one of those kind of services. I see. Okay, so. I was praying into this and the Lord kept bringing me back to Lot. The story of Lot. Which is, interestingly, the very preceding story but some versions of our faith, saints, some versions of Christianity, ironically, with the name Christ in, in the brand of faith, some versions of our faith will overemphasize a relationship with the Father. But in bypassing Jesus, we actually create more obstacles for the kingdom than we do opportunities. We, go, we, try, we try to go straight to the Father. But the truth is, all that we need to know about the relationship with the Father comes through Jesus. In fact, you won't have a relationship with the Father if it not be through Jesus. If it wasn't for the covenant with Sarah, 
Abraham would never see the fullness of his destiny be burred through Isaac, the covenant he had with the father. Now, the story with Lot goes like this. As um, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed and Lot makes it out with his family and, you know, everybody except for his wife who left her keys or her purse or something and just turned around and anyway, the story's all there. You can read it. But what happens is he makes it out and he's got a couple of daughters and tragically his daughters, instead of seeking a marriage covenant through which to carry on their family legacy, they go back to their father and his two daughters get lot drunk and they both conceive children with their father. And they both birth sons who would become the fathers of their own nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Two great oppressions of Israel. Two of the greatest stumbling blocks in Israel's journey. The Ammonites and the Moabites, why? Because when we bypass our marriage covenant and try to go straight to the father, we make a mess. That's how you have all of these people today thinking that they've got this, oh, I'm good with God. I'm good with God. I'm not that worried about Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. It's fine. I'm good with God. Jesus is my brother. But, but me and God, see, that's how you have people um, uh, fooling around, sleeping around with all these other mystical, spiritual things of this world. Things from the pit of hell. And, and it... And it it creates chaos for the kingdom because you have people who are pulling the shirt on and, 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 and willing to talk about Jesus, but not as a spouse, not as one with whom they have a covenant, not with, as one with whom they're in a, intimate, but just as another option. Oh, I get my power from these crystals. No, you don't. You open up hell with your crystals. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out where believers are, where, I'm sorry, where was that? No, it's not in there. You know what is in there? That there would be a church with some form of godliness, but denying its power. That's what's in there. And that is any believer who thinks they're going to tap into the elements of this world and draw out some kind of power that's going to do something other than bring hell to earth. We've got to be careful, saints. We've got to lean in to the covenant we have with Jesus. There's so much witchcraft in the church. There's so much witchcraft infiltrating the church today because it, we, we have whitewashed all of the spirituality and the mysticism and the nonsense. And in doing so, we have denied and diminished the covenantal relationship and intimacy that we have with the one from where we really get our power. So we end up, instead of praying prayers in Jesus' name, we pray prayers in our own name. We pray selfish, soulish, flesh-covered prayers that wreak havoc we want to bless and we end up cursing. Why? Because we didn't go through the order laid out for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay. Watch. Watch here. 
I want to talk about the anatomy of this curse for a second, Abimelech's curse. You see, Abraham and Sarah show up on the scene. They already know God, but they had made this sort of pact. In fact, they made it a long time ago. In fact, this isn't the first ruler in front of which Abraham denied his wife was his wife and said it was his sister. He did the same thing to the Pharaoh of Egypt and had similar chaos and dysfunction. But somehow Abraham, we, you know, like many of us, he's just trying to figure it out. He's getting it wrong again, but there's grace. Thank the Lord. So watch this. The anatomy of this curse, it, it, we need to pay attention to this because we see it played out today. You see, the curse, it's not just us who suffer. It's not just us who has something to lose when the enemy uses fear to get us to deny our covenant and diminish our relationship with Jesus. We, we feel like, well, you know, we had a good thing going, but it's all right. Like, we still know who God is, and maybe we've just stumbled. Maybe we're just living under something. No, what happens is the world actually bears the brunt of our consequences because whatever we deal with as insecurities or doubts, they're magnified to the world as insurmountable odds because the world does not have that relationship that we have. So we end up projecting and imposing on the world all the issues that we should know better than to be dealing with ourselves. But we've forgotten who it was that was sent to carry all this burden and to exchange it for us and whose cross we carry in exchange. What, what was Sarah's issue? Anybody remember Sarah's issue? She was barren. Why? She was old age, right? She, she was just, she, the biological clock was winding down. She's like 90, I think, when all this stuff starts. You know what I'm saying? She's just like a little past the old prime. And uh, and so Abraham and Sarah, they're in this covenant with the Lord, with God. And so even though Sarah is dealing with an, with an older age issue, with the, you know, kicking the dust off the ovaries and hoping this thing works, at the same time, what, what's happening, if you see how, the, again, the anatomy of this curse is, the problem that she was dealing with, the problem that they held up before the Lord, and again, Abraham messes up, but he's willing to go back. He's gonna figure that, okay, Sarah, if it's you and me, it's you and me. This is gonna happen because God said it's gonna happen. But watch the curse that plays out. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife for the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah. It says it in verse 18. You can put it up there. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah. Because Sarah and Abraham were in denial of the marriage covenant that they had been called into, the covenant through which the covenant with the father would come through. And in that lie... They had convinced they, they had convinced Abimelech and Gerar to believe that the covenant through which God desires to bring salvation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Jesus, the church, the covenant through which God desired to bring the salvation of the world could just be mixed in with all of Abimelech's other wives. 
that Sarah, the mother, Sarah, the matriarch of this whole picture, that somehow she could just be let go into this whole Abimelech's big mess of harem of wives and maids. And what ends up happening? The thing that was meant for a blessing becomes a curse. The thing that in Sarah God was going to use as a mighty miracle, a demonstration of his power, that your age means nothing to me. Your limitations mean nothing to me. But instead of it being this incredible picture of God's power, it becomes a curse to Abimelech, to the world. And that problem ends up getting projected, magnified. Barrenness, like an epidemic, spreads throughout this kingdom. It's kind of hard to think of it like this. But even if you go back into the Old Testament, you know, we're so used to thinking blessing, blessing, blessing. Like blessing happens if I bless somebody. Blessing happens when I carry the presence of God. Blessing happens because of my relationship with God. We love this idea of blessing, blessing, blessing. But it's so adulterated and abused. It's so manipulated. And, and, and it, it just gets so far from what the Father had in mind because we end up using it far from Jesus. We end up using it far from the teachings that came along through the Son of God to show us what the Father's heart really meant when he said what he said. It has to be through Jesus. So the Philistines, at one point, they obtained the ark. The ark was mistakenly brought into battle. It never should have been the way that it was. And um, the, the Lord had not given them orders in this particular case the way that they did. And so they, in sin, brought the ark, the footstool of God, the presence of him on the earth. They brought it into battle, and the Philistines actually obtained the ark. Now, the Philistines knew that the only reason why Israel was so successful in battle was because of this ark. So they get it thinking, we've got the secret weapon. Sometimes, some of y'all, like, you think that, you know, your friend's secret weapon is, like, the dress they wear or, like, the shirt they wear or the car they drive or whatever it is. It's like, if I could just borrow her dress, if I could just wear that dress on this date, that's the secret weapon. It works for her every time. And then you put the dress on, and you look like a can of biscuits that fell off the counter. (laughs) The magic is gone. What was once a blessing is now a curse. What the Lord meant for good, the enemy took it and rent it. And that's what happens. The Philistines took the secret weapon. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They took the presence of God. And you know where they put it? Best place they knew. In their temple. The temple of Dagon, a pagan god. Because that was common practice. You would take the idol, you would take the gods, the, the statues, the representations of the, of the nations that you fought and defeated, and you would bring them into your own temple, sort of as a, like a means of subjecting them under the gods of your land. But instead of 
the ark being a blessing to the Philistines, it became a curse. And the next thing you know, the, 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 all, all of that area um, was, was windswept with boils, a disease, an epidemic swept through. And then uh, an, uh, an infestation of rats came and plagued all of these people until they went back and got the prophet. And he comes and he says, here's what you got to do. And get rid of that ark, whatever you do. Get that ark out of that temple. Get it out of your land. It wasn't meant to be there. It's not supposed to be done like this. And as soon as they do, everything clears up. Saints, when we create a version of our faith that's just a sister and not a wife, we do the world more harm than good. We've got to move this church from a convent to a covenant. This isn't just a home full of sisters. This is a house of intimacy. But there's a good part. This is where it gets good. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. So he tells Abimelech, God tells Abimelech, listen, go have this guy pray for you. What? I don't want him to pray for me. I don't trust this guy. He's been lying. He's the one, he's the reason I'm in this mess I'm in. But he says, go have Abraham pray for you and you'll be healed. And in verse 17, it says, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids. So they bore children for the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abraham prayed. Abraham prayed. If you take one thing home today, get this. There isn't a problem for which prayer is not the answer. There is not a problem for which prayer is not the answer. And there's an awakening stirring in the heart of the church. There's an awakening. When I see, when I see 150 to 200 people here on Tuesday nights coming in, leaning in, just sitting. When I see young adults, college-age kids in their teens and 20s coming in and just, and just sitting in the presence of God and leaning in, not just to bring their own prayers, but what prayer really is, to hear what's on his heart too. There's a revival of hunger and desire to know what's on his heart, to move in his power. Be encouraged in this, saints. Because many of us, we're still afraid like Abraham was that we live in a place where there is no fear of God. But I wanna tell you this morning that he is just as likely, my God is just as likely to show up in the dreams of an atheist or in the visions of an agnostic. He is just as likely to reach down into the soul of a Buddhist or into a Hindu gathering and reveal himself. Don't you deny him. And don't you for one second diminish that covenant that you have because it's by that covenant that this world still has hope. Abraham prayed. Let's stand to our feet this morning. 
You see, prayer, saints, prayer becomes the vehicle by which the redemption of God is revealed. Prayer becomes the means by which the power of heaven is released on the earth. Some of us, some of us, we still, we, we have a language and it's steeped in Pentecostal tradition. Um, but we have this language and we call, we'll call people like healers. Like if somebody operates in a gifting or if somebody tends to usually, you know, pray for somebody and they get healed, we'll call those people healers. We'll call people who prophesy prophets and that sort of thing. But here's what's crazy. None of these gifts work without an open line to heaven. It's not the guy that's doing the healing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If it was, everybody they prayed for would be healed. It's that guy. Yeah. You know that, right? Okay. I just want to, I want to clear that up because I think sometimes we're like, I got to get down to that altar and I got to have Jamal pray over me because I need the power of the dreads. Because I smell the glory in his braids when he walks by. Shut up, And I want you to know all of that is true. But not because of who he is. It's because of who he knows. Yes, sir. Yes, it's because it of who he's been intimate yes, with in is. the secret place. Yes, sir. It's because he's where he's walked the hours in the depths and the darkness of valley seasons. Because he didn't go running to some other God. He went running back to the bedchamber. He went back to the intimate place and just got closer. Go ahead. So God could have just healed him. God could have just healed Abimelech. As soon as Abimelech was like, I'm so sorry. This way, that's not what I meant. Like, it's fine. Take her back. God could have just healed him, but instead he has to show Abraham that prayer is a part of how we take responsibility. Prayer is a part of how we grow up. Prayer is a part of how we take ownership of the fact that for generations and centuries, the church has failed the world. And that's why New England is rendered as a place where many of us might just draw the conclusion that there is no fear of God in this place. Saints, we have to come back. And as Abraham did, be humble enough to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to start getting this right. You want to hear something crazy? We believe in healing. We, we pray for healing. We see healing. You heard on Thanksgiving Eve, you heard Wendy Dental share her testimony of how God healed her a couple weeks ago. And we see incredible, miraculous healings take place here, like too often. But let me tell you this. Right here, that line that says, Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech, that is the first healing in all of scripture. That is the very first time that a supernatural physical healing took place. Wait a minute, it wasn't like over somebody like really wicked spiritual and like godly? It wasn't over somebody who like, you know, what about the prophet and the, no, they're later. What about the woman with the, no, that's the New Testament. What about, no, a precedent is set. 
healing in all its power and demonstration of might and glory and sovereignty. It's given as a means by which the people of God can retract the curses of this world off of those who have love that. I love that. That word, Rafa. You know, we call Jehovah Rafa, our healer, our healer, our healer, our healer. That word Rafa is actually onomatopoeia for any English teachers out there. And that just means it's a word that is literally the sound of an action, like buzz and slap and punch. Yeah. Like all those words you see in comic books. Rafa was the sound that was made when a needle and thread would pass through fabric and restore what has been torn. It was the word that was then assigned to physicians when they realized that the same practice could suture up yes, wounds sir. Yes, sir. in people when they were coming in off the battlefield. Rafa. And it wasn't just once. It was Rafa, 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 Rafa. And that needle would pass through and it would take broken things, torn things, and restore them back to whole again. Saints, we live in a broken world, beat up and torn. But I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has put a needle and thread in our hands. And that the same God, the same God who showed up and reopened the wombs of an entire nation that was living under a curse, when Abraham humbled himself and said, yeah, all right, let's get this done. Rafa, Rafa, Rafa. And the precedent was set. That's what's healing for that's why we can that's why we can gather around and believe for prodigals coming home because things have been torn and there are people out there living under the curse of death under the curse of addiction under the curse of brokenness under so much oppression much of which is because the church has not stood its ground on the covenant we have with Jesus it's time we take it back yeah it's yeah. time we take it back yeah, yeah. So, Father, I thank you that your invitation to us is to call you Jehovah Rapha, our healer. But, Lord, this isn't really about us because we've already been healed. We've already been restored. So, God, instead, let our attention be drawn outward to the ones who need to know about this covenant, to the ones who have gone without, neglected for too long because your bride's been too embarrassed. We've been too ashamed and we've treated you more like a brother that we share the remotes with. One that we talk to uh, before we eat at dinner. One we give 10% of what we make to instead of one to whom we give it all. So Lord, this morning we give it all. We give it all that this covenant would be restored to the fullness of its power. And that as it is, that something would be released in us to 
become a part of grafting this broken world back in to the power of your vine, of your branches. We love you and we thank you, Lord, and we give you all the glory and the honor for a world that is changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.